Hello, I'm Donald Johannesson, and thanks for joining me on Speaking Out. The northwest Queensland township of Mount Isa has been in the media after reports that local youths are terrorising the community. But is Mount Isa really under siege? Is there an issue? Yes, there's certainly an issue in Mount Isa. Are we under siege from young people? Well, the simple answer is no. That's Emma Silicons, the ABC Northwest Queensland breakfast presenter, who will tell Speaking Out what exactly is going on in Mount Isa. Speaking Out. Indigenous culture, lifestyle and current affairs. The front page of Monday's Courier Mail, the 7th of September, showed a photo of some young children sitting on the ground in the dark uh, with a little bit of light around them and surrounded by police. And the uh, wording on the front page said, shame. Uh, Reading it a bit further, it says that Mount Isa under siege. Is Mount Isa really under siege? Look, it's a tough question to answer. Is there an issue? Yes, there's certainly an issue in Mount Isa. Are we under siege from young people? Well, the simple answer is no. It's probably quite a sensationalist take on what's actually happening. I guess the issue of juvenile crime is no new issue to Mount Isa. There's been issues ongoing for years. I've lived here for close to seven years now and the type of activity that we're talking about in Pioneer and across Mount Isa has been here that entire time. I'd say from from what I've heard from residents, things are getting worse in the past couple of years so in regards to young people. And I actually headed along to Pioneer, which is a suburb where most of these social issues and, and juvenile crime exist, to have a chat to some of the people about what they think about juvenile crime and if it's sort of being blown out of proportion by some media. Uh, I do see a lot more of it in the paper than what I actually see personally. Um, I don't see a great deal of it, but I do read a lot about it. From our area, we notice we do get a lot of the younger kids walking up up our street through the creek and stuff, um, I guess, uh, trying to break into cars and things like that. That's probably the worst thing that we notice. The little ones are getting worse, but I don't think it's as bad as what they are saying, even though the police beat thing did get burnt down, but... A lot of younger children, they throw rocks all hours of the night and you say something to them and then they'll just turn around and swear at you and just keep you on there, get in the drain and throw the rocks. Well, we bought our house here about four years ago now. We live right over here just in the main part of Pioneer. Um, we've got a bridge and a gully that run alongside our house and we do see a lot of kid, young kids in there, chroming, drinking. I think the kids is a lot worse but the adults seem to be a lot quieter now. But, yeah, there seems to be a lot more kids on the streets now. So just some opinions of people who live in Mount Isa, in particular in the suburb of Pioneer, which is an area that has a high concentration of social housing and a lot of social issues that exist, and that's sort of where we're seeing a lot of this juvenile crime. So the problem, Donald's, existed for years. But I guess more recently the reason we're talking about it again and the reason that it's hit the front pages of statewide papers is because the police beat was burnt down last month and a 10-year-old is accused of that crime and is going through the court system at the moment. So that really was the catalyst for these recent conversations about 
juvenile crime. And after that happened, a resident from Mount Isa, Mary Gerber, decided to start a petition because she was sick of people just jumping on social media and saying, you know, we need to do something, everything, all of this is a really bad thing. She said, no, no, no. Rather than just us talking about how bad it is, let's workshop solutions on the issue. And she actually refloated the idea of a curfew for Mount Isa again. Everybody is complaining about the issues, but nobody's doing anything about them. These children are going to be lost if we don't do something to to help them find their way. And I think that a curfew is the first step to getting the parents to take responsibility for their children. So I guess that's how we've got to this stage of uh, Mount Isa ending up on the the front page of the Courier-Mail and statewide news and and making nationwide headlines as a result of what's going on here with juvenile crime. But no, certainly not a new issue. 30 extra police are expected to be in the northwest uh, at the end of this week, I believe. Uh, But what are the police doing on the ground currently? Well, I guess that's the biggest thing that we've heard, Donald, is that we will have extra police in Mount Isa. And until now, police have done what they always do. They patrol the areas. They know that Pioneer is an issue and it's one of their hotspots, as they call it, and a focus area until now. But when the crisis talks were held in Mount Isa last week, uh, the police commissioner, Ian Stewart, did announce those extra police numbers and it's part of an operation that's meant to bolster the police's response to this. Operation Respect is already underway in your city with extra police being brought in from Cairns and Townsville in particular and with extra leadership to support the local team to do their job to make sure that all your all your community is safe. The operation is is not about a heavy-handed approach by policing. It's an approach where we will look at diversions, we will look at interventions to try and stop the young people getting into the situation of committing offences. What does that actually mean? Are we going to have more police on the ground? How many numbers are we talking about here? So you've got about 20 extra police in, in Mount Isa right now um, and by next weekend it'll, it'll rise to about 30. Uh, but it's not just our general duties officers or specialist officers, it's people who are working in your PCYC to find other activities for some of these disaffected young people who've got nothing else to do. Now, this is a short-term initiative. Operation Respect is short-term because part of the reason of having the roundtable is to look not just at short-term measures but at medium and long-term goals. So that's the Police Commissioner, Ian Stewart, who was in Mount Isa last week for crisis talks. And the reason that we were having those crisis talks was because of that petition that I mentioned earlier that Mary Gerber started. Uh, It was actually addressed to the Mayor of Mount Isa and he headed down to Brizzy a couple of weeks ago to have level, pretty high level talks, I guess, with state government uh, people, the big wigs. And uh, since then, they've come up to Mount Isa, had those crisis talks. And and hearing that something's being done about the issue, I guess, has uh, made people sort of feel a little bit better, I guess, about what's going on. At least something is being done. And you might have heard the police commissioner there talk about other measures, not just extra police on the ground, those 30 police, but also, you know, the PCYC getting involved with programs and things like that. And um, I've actually been out just this week, Donald, on the ground in Pioneer where there's activities happening every single day right now to try and keep kids engaged and, and not bored so that they don't engage in, in crime. So there were about a 100 kids last night when I went out to Pioneer. They were playing sports, skipping and doing craft and all those sort of things. So it was a really lovely thing to see. And I caught up with uh, Adam Willimont, who's part of this whole PCYC process. So we've just decided to come out and really engage with the kids and let them know, you know, what's expected, what we'd like them to do, what's expected of them as young adults. And, um, you know, hopefully 
but I see by the example that you don't have to do the wrong thing to have a good time with your friends. A lot of these kids show a lot of potential in sport and um, you know there's crafts, there's games, there's music, there's, there's dancing. Um, they're all having a lot of fun, you know, there's, there's no alcohol involvement, there's no sniffing, there's no drugs, they're all just coming down and having a good time. They certainly were, and uh, they were doing cartwheels and all sorts of things. The kids having a great time in Pioneer. So at the moment, as a result, I guess, of this whole juvenile crime issue, the the police, the PCYC, and a couple of the other youth organisations are involved, like Headspace and Young People Ahead, with which is a youth org out here, and, and they're doing these activities every single day in Pioneer. Unfortunately, it's not going to last forever. Uh, I think the whole of community wished that it would, but funding something that they need to, to keep the continuing. So at this stage, it's a bit of an intensive thing that's happening, I, I guess, as a result of the issue. But at this stage, probably only a month is what they'll be doing programs every day, but they're hoping to keep it to three a week if they can work together with um, some of the other youth organisations in town. Speaking out. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and SoundCloud. You're listening to Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia. I'm Donald Johannesson. Thanks for your company. Emma Silicon joins me and she's from ABC North West Queensland, the breakfast presenter in Mount Isa. And uh, there's been talk, Emma, about a curfew. Mm. Uh, that's been flagged. Is uh, that something you think might happen? Look, a curfew is a really difficult one. Uh, the petition I was speaking about earlier, it flagged the idea of a curfew and that got a really good response from the community on social media. A lot of people saying, yeah, that's a great idea. That would be a great solution. But the people that make these sort of decisions aren't quite as enthusiastic about it. Um, the idea of a curfew was actually first floated a couple of years back. I think it was about four years back now. John Maloney, the former mayor of Mount Isa, who people might remember for the ugly women scandal and uh, those comments. He actually first floated the idea of a curfew but couldn't get the support from the state government to do it at that time. And it looks like it's sort of going the same way this time round with these conversations. Uh, the state member for Mount Isa, Rob Catter, has said that there is merit in a curfew but he wants to focus on the actual problems and doesn't want sort of a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, the mayor of Mount Isa, Tony McGrady, uh, has said a curfew hasn't necessarily been ruled out, but there are some issues with bringing it into effect. It's certainly on the table, but that's a political decision. And what the police commissioner informed us today is that there is no legislative authority to have a curfew. Uh, that would be a matter for the Parliament of Queensland. However, there are some instances where the local magistrate does have the authority to impose a curfew on um, individuals. Um, and what we've said is that we will refer that matter to the Queensland Government. So it is still no something being considered? It has been taken one way or the other, so no decision has been taken other than to refer the matter to the Queensland Government. So I guess at this stage it's kind of out of our hands at a local level, it's with the state government, but... Although it's being discussed, it's it's probably not something that is going to come into effect. I just think there's too many issues around that and there's not really scope to put that in place with legislation at this stage. But, you know, you never know. We'll have to wait and see. Emma, is there a role that the elders can play in this uh, saga? Look, it's an interesting one. Uh, I have spoken to some elders sort of off the record. We haven't got a lot of them on the record here at the ABC because... It's one of those issues that it is a tough one. Uh, 
it's not a particular community or a particular race, colour or creed or particular religion that's actually performing these crimes. It's a, it's a bit of everything. But a lot of uh, the local Aboriginal people, I guess, are, are sort of being blamed to a certain extent for what's going on. And it's probably not the right way to address it. And and one Kalkadoon woman who is actually the, the head of Kalkadoon community, she's sort of addressed this and said that she's not really happy with the way some things are reported. Uh, they've Certain media have been talking about the riverbed in Mount Isa being an issue and itinerants and, and sort of laying blame for crime on that population as well as the juveniles, which she's saying sort of isn't really helpful. Well, our concerns have been the negative media stories. Um, People that live in Brisbane really don't know what's happening in this community. Everybody has a different slant on things. From our point, uh, it's happening on Kalkadoon country. It's not Kalkadoon's responsibility. So that's why we need a community and whole of government approach. So that's Virginia Mayo. She's the head of Kalkadoon Community. Uh, she sort of hasn't really floated any solutions, I guess, from her level. And I haven't heard any elders coming out and saying this is what needs to be done. But they certainly have been involved in these discussions, in the crisis talks that have been happening in Mount Isa. And, and Virginia Mayo said to me that she thought that whole process was valuable, that she wanted to work together with the rest of the community members, but said there were so many social issues that need to be addressed and it's not just one solution. Part of the crime problem is is not just juvenile crime. There's sort of crime that comes out of, I guess, the riverbed area and itinerants in Mount Isa, as we were mentioning earlier, and some of them are getting a pretty bad rap in the media. Uh, but one of the issues is the freely available alcohol and there's a, a bit like Alice Springs, I guess, you'll see the issues of, you know, cask wine in the riverbed and those sort of things. And one thing that Mount Isa sort of brought into effect to try and tackle that issue as part of this whole approach and the crisis talks is uh, this new no card, no service. So you've got to actually show your ID at bottle shops from now on rather than being able to buy alcohol without ID. So this was already in effect for clubs, registered clubs in Mount Isa. But if you were an independent bottle shop, you didn't actually have to uh, view someone's ID. So now you must show your ID to get alcohol if you, you go and buy it. So that's only just been brought into effect. Clubs have long been legislated that ID and membership must be presented to make a purchase. And um, Mount Isa is lucky enough to have um, some great independent bottle shops that have jumped on board to try and assist with the issues we're having and said that they'll be happy enough to ask for ID as well to try and reduce our problems. Right, so from now on if we go in and we buy alcohol, we will be checked, our ID will be checked? That's correct. Okay. Uh, why was that decision made? Uh, the decision was made uh, due to the amount of alcohol making its way to places such as the riverbed and parks. It's generally purchased without uh, by people who, who don't have somewhere to live or um, identification. So what we're trying to do is restrict the amount of alcohol that can make its way into these areas such as the riverbed and the parks and hopefully reduce the people gathering in these areas and then going on and moving in large groups and causing commotions around neighbourhoods. If we find the idea requirement doesn't have the desired effect we will be looking at initiatives such as reducing the trading hours for cask sales so you might not be able to come in and buy a cask of wine until 4pm or something like that.
that's Bernard Gillick. He's the head of the Liquor Accord in Mount Isa, and that's just one of the local solutions to the issue that's happening with crime in Mount Isa. And that was spoken about at those crisis talks this week in Mount Isa. There's been so many talks, it's hard to keep track of uh, what days things are happening, but that was certainly one of the solutions touted. The Speaking Out website is abc.net.au slash speaking out. Or just search for ABC Speaking Out. I'm speaking to Emma Silicons, uh, the ABC North West Queensland breakfast presenter, to give us what is happening on the ground in Mount Isa. And uh, can you put your finger on it, uh, what the social problems attributing to this crisis in Mount Isa is, Emma? Oh, look, there's there's so many different issues and it's it's really difficult to put your finger on one thing or two things that might be contributing. I've spoken to lots of different groups about the issues and, and they all are singing for the same songbook when it comes to a couple of things. So one of the main issues that's been brought up since the police beat but was burnt down in Pioneer last month uh, was home life of these kids that are engaging in, in juvenile crime. So a lot of the time the parents aren't very involved in their life. Uh, so their home life and I guess parenting is one of the major issues. A lot of the time just to give you an example, um, on the street that I used to live in, in Mount Isa, there would be a little kid in a nappy like, that would stand out on the street every day and um, he would be supervised by his sister who looked about three years old. I'd pick him up off the street and try to take him into the house, but you couldn't find a parent to deliver him to half the time or if there was someone there, there'd be you know 10 or 15 kids that they were looking after. So uh, it's a really difficult one because a lot of the time the kids aren't getting the supervision and probably the values, morals and and that sort of side of things instilled in them. There's been a lot of criticism of parenting in Mount Isa and so that's one side of things and there are programs that are being run to sort of address that but it's it's difficult unless the courts are forcing parents to go along. A lot of the time they're not engaging in those problems, uh, in those uh, programs that exist. So that's one side of things that the organisations have highlighted to me. And another one is boredom for the kids. So there's being a regional community, Mount Isa doesn't have a huge amount of activities like uh, the city, like in Brisbane. So, you know, uh, what is it? When your idle hands make idle, I, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know what it's like. End of the day, you get a little bit, little bit tired. But uh, yeah, when you're not out there doing things, uh, kids are potentially turning to things like chroming, uh, sniffing volatile substances, and engaging in crime because they don't have anything else to do. So that's been one of the criticisms um, and that's been one of the reasons that people have been saying, you know, could be a result of the juvenile crime or could be contributing to juvenile crime in Mount Isa. So those are the two things that a couple of different orgs have mentioned to me and the police as well. Uh, You might have heard the police commissioner mention boredom a little bit earlier on and they're trying to address that by PCYC having some programs every day in Pioneer along with um, other youth organisations. But I guess some of the other things, the social disadvantage, the area that we're talking about where a lot of this crime is happening, and it's not just in this area. There are other areas in Mount Isa that have issues, but Pioneer has a high concentration of social housing um, and it is a low socioeconomic area largely of Mount Isa. So a lot of these people are socially and economically disadvantaged and some of them actually face homelessness as well. There's an issue 
issue with overcrowding in, in homes in Mount Isa because uh, sometimes family will live with family if they're made homeless. So there could be 20, 30 people living in um, public housing in some of these housing commission homes. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one. It's a very complex issue and there's a lot contributing to it. And also employment or lack thereof or uh, gaining skills and those sort of things. It's all contributing there. And an ABC News story online during the week as well, Emma, Mount Isa public housing crime crackdown promised those 20 homes of interest to be monitored. In what way will they be monitored? So we were speaking to the housing minister. She was here just after those crisis talks in Mount Isa, Leanne Enoch, and, and she was saying that they'll be monitored uh, by the Department of Housing. So they've actually got 671 properties in Mount Isa total, uh, but 20 of those homes are the ones that they are saying are probably having the biggest issues. So they'll have more people on the ground doing intense case management with these people, trying to work out why there might be overcrowding in the homes, what support they can be given, and just basically intensively working with them and monitoring the situation in some of those problem homes, as they call them. And uh, we'll just finish up with uh, community groups. You mentioned before PCYC and the great work they're doing, and obviously mm. it comes down to a budget at the end of the day because it sounds like it's it's working what they're doing with those programs. Uh, but what about parents? Uh, we just touched on this briefly. Is there like parenting workshops? Should there be things where parents uh, get more involvement? Uh, we were s- saying in, in the newsroom just here that um, where are the parents when you saw the, the kids on the front page of the Courier Mail on the 7th of September? So parenting. Where, where is that at at the moment? Yeah, it's a really hard thing when you say where are the parents. Um, a lot of the time they are actually, some of them are around, but a lot of them are affected by drugs and alcohol and that's probably why they're not being the best role models for their kids. That is a generalisation, but that's what I'm hearing from a lot of the services in Mount Isa that alcohol is certainly playing its part in all of this. In terms of support, Mount Isa does actually have a lot of support for these parents, but like I mentioned, it's actually getting them along and and wanting, giving them the motivation to actually change. And that's something that you can't fix straight away. It's something that probably takes a generation uh, to fix some of these social issues that exist in terms of motivating people to, you know, be good parents. And there's... It's a, it's a really, really difficult one. But Centre Care in Mount Isa is running parenting workshops and they do do that, but they find that um, they're not all that well attended and unless they're mandated to head along to those because they, for example, may lose their social housing, uh, then the parents don't engage in this. So it's not like the support is not available. It is here. The The problem is how do you get people to head along and actually take up that support? So I guess it's going to be an ongoing issue for the Mount Isa community. It's been around since I've lived here, which is nearly close to seven years, and it's been around a lot longer than that. And we haven't found a solution yet. So it's it's great that the conversation has started again. It's, it's great that media has been talking about it and uh, people have been starting petitions because it just means it's front of mind once again. And these conversations are happening. Crisis talks are happening, which means we're seeing things going on on the ground. I think the biggest thing is we don't want to see a knee-jerk reaction. Rob Catter said that, the state member for Mount Isa. But from the talks that I've had and, and from going along to these different meetings and talking to different groups, it looks like there's a lot of short-term solutions already being put into place and they're working on long-term solutions. So fingers crossed, Donald, it'll uh, sort itself out. But again, it's it's not unique to Mount Isa. These type of issues happen everywhere. It's just that this week we happen to be part of the news cycle and we happen to be on the front page of a statewide publication. Emma Silicons, thank you very much for your time to give us the insight what's happening on the ground in Mount Isa. Great, thank you.
This is Speaking Out. If you'd like to podcast the show later or previous shows, find the podcast links at abc.net.au slash speaking out. You're listening to Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia. I'm Donald Johannesson. Thanks for your company. Brisbane has wrapped up a two-day roundtable event on the issue of the drug ICE. Stakeholders from state and federal politics, Aboriginal Medical Service representatives and past addicts came together to discuss outcomes and how their communities are dealing with ICE. I spoke to Trent from Toowoomba in Queensland about his two-year addiction to the drug ICE and how he became a seller of the drug to his own sister. The first time you were introduced to ICE? Um, I was spray painting on a weekend actually. Um, I was in the booth and had a, another Murray fellow with me and he said, what do you like on the gear when you're working? And I said, no, 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 I don't do gear when working. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just, just he snapped and just shot off out the door and I thought, oh, well, I think he's going to get some whatever. And I thought, just kept painting and he pops back and he goes, here, brother, have some of this. And I went, no, no, no. And he went, yeah, here. So give me some. And I just got this big, awful, foul taste in my mouth and I thought, well, what is that? And he oh, it's ice. I went, oh, I went, right, yeah. So I finished painting and then um, went around to my boss's house and I just got all fidgety and started getting really, you know, talkative and I thought, what's going on here? And didn't sleep that night. You know, you still sort of wake through the next day and you're trying to catch up on sleep and I thought, what the, what was that? And then I caught up my boss and said, sorry about last night. And he said, well, what, what, what's up? And I said, you didn't notice? And he said, no. Nah. I said, I was off my head. And he couldn't even pick up the signs that I was off my head because I'm a you know, pretty outgoing person anyhow. Um, and, yeah, basically, it was the first time I took ice. Um, and then next thing you know, you know, it's you're sitting in a shed with a group of people hanging off a pipe and it was just normal. Was... And how easy was it to access? One message, it's there. Um, if not, you message someone you know that uses and they might pop around and then... Before you know it, there's a few grams on the table and then there's more people and it's, yeah, quite accessible. I don't think the drug got too much control of me, but I was using it more frequently. So um, you might have, you know, went Wednesday night to the uni club and then you might have went Thursday, Thursday with $2 shots, so then you'd end up with whatever. And then it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Sunday, you, you know, you've just gone, oh, how many days have been doing, you know, whatever drugs? and. You go, oh, no. So you try and, you know, sleep it off on a Sunday and basically the only way to come down off the drug, you'd um, basically take marijuana to basically bring in the come down so that you're ready to go for work Monday. And, yeah, you had to use drugs to offset the other drug and before you know it, you're using a lot of drugs and, yeah, you get stuck in the system. How long were you doing this uh, routine? Uh, I haven't really thought about it. Um... Maybe a year, I'm not quite sure, haven't really thought about it. Um, it's sort of you try to push it back in the back part of your mind and think about the next day and how you can move forward um, and think about, you know, all the good things in life. Um, and, yeah, basically, I'd, I'd, I never had the support. So, well, I had the family support, but I never had the support with, um, you know, being educated on how to give up. So I hear stories of people through the rehabs and, you know, there's identified parts in the process. So, and, yeah, like... Basically, the thing I found out yesterday was, you know, you've got your main dealer and then he deals to you cheaply and then you start dealing to your friends. And I never thought about it, but I was I was dealing to my friends. So he'd give me free drugs to basically compensate and then before you know it, I'm selling a lot of drugs for him and I thought, 
oh, that can't be in this system. And, yeah, so I had to delete a few numbers out of my phone at that stage. So, so you had a good job, <coughs> spray painting. Um, then you've tried this drug at the workplace, uh, which is now taking you to becoming a dealer. So when did you turn around? Was it through family support? When did you turn around and say, hey, I need to stop this? Yeah, um, as, as family members, we sort of looked at each other and said, you know, this drug is not good at all. Um, we, you know, you started having no money. Um, you couldn't do the things you enjoyed in life. And then that's when it started to take control of you financially. So as, as a group, we just said, you know, we've got to put this down. Um, so, you know, you break the pipe, you, you basically throw anything you, away that you can do um, and, yeah, you just fight long and hard and look forward to your next day. Um, we had a lot of family support about it. Um, you know, we had to hide a lot of it from our parents because you don't want your parents to know that you're a drug user um, as it's labelled as a really bad thing, but a lot of people are going through it. So, yeah, it got to the stage where, as a, as a group, we said we've got to keep this drug in. So when you say group, you mean other family members were on ice as well? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so you sort of, as as you start using it, you, people start noticing you're on it. So then you end up giving them a try of it, and then before you know it, they're using the drug. Mm. And then, yeah, that's where it all sort of goes. And then, yeah, as as family members, yeah, it, it sort of, you know, you, you start it, and then it sort of just merges its way through to other people, and it slowly grabs them and takes control of them as well. So... Basically, we had to put it out in the open, had to tell the parents, you know, we have been using drugs, we, we're trying to kick it. Um, and basically, as, as one, we come together and, you know, we all didn't give up at once. One would, we were all giving up, one would give up sooner than the other and then basically it got down to the, the last member and I I'd basically just had to spend a lot of time with them and love and nurture and, yeah, we finally got rid of it and it's it's gone and it's escaped the family, so, yeah. That's Trent from Toowoomba in Queensland talking about his addiction and his rehabilitation from the drug ice. That's it for another week. I'm Donald Johannesson and this has been Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Digital Radio and Radio Australia.